You're listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast. The OPP is brought to you by Natural Stacks, makers of 100% natural and open source supplements designed to help you live optimal. For more information on how to build optimal mental and physical performance into your life, go to naturalstacks.com. Oh, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Optimal Performance Podcast. On today's episode, we are joined by Sarah McDevitt, who is the CEO and founder of Core. And Core is a meditation device that is synced up with an app that you hold that measures your heart rate variability while you meditate. And this is not the first meditation device, but I think this one is a lot different. Um, This is and very well could be a a really profound tool for those of you who really want to meditate. You want the benefits. You want the superpower. You want to be able to meditate effectively and have the benefits of that meditation bleed over into your normal life. And this 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 could be um, a really big part of it. It's uh, it's really popular. It's so so popular that they're they've actually sold out. Um, and this conversation is fascinating because we talk about how she developed, why they developed the shape that they did, how uh, how they chose um, the guided meditations that they did, and and why they chose heart rate variability as uh, the indicator, as the biomarker for for success in meditation. Meditation is is a near and dear topic to my heart because. I've been meditating since I was about 12 years old. My folks taught me transcendental meditation, and I've gone through lots of different disciplines and approaches to meditations. I've gone through great spells and bad spells of meditation, and I've also tried several meditation devices and software and hardware that um, that give me sort of an opinion on this stuff. This could be cool for a lot of you, I think. And as always, I'm super interested in what you think. I want this medi- this uh, this meditation, this podcast is for you. I want to create cool content that you guys will love and share. Please, if you know someone that would benefit from a meditation device like this, please share this episode. Drop us a five-star review on iTunes. And please share this episode with people in your life. I, I always strive to create the best possible content that I can. And that's for you guys. This is the whole point. So um, follow me personally on Instagram, where I talk about um, nutrition, spirituality, meditation, and share some of the the biohacks and life hacks that that I've been experimenting with. And as always, I'd love your feedback. Send me an email, Sean at naturalstacks.com. That's S-E-A-N at naturalstacks.com. On Instagram, I'm Coach Sean McCormick. I really look forward to continuing to drop these awesome episodes for you guys and with lots of different topics that I think are going to be cool for you in your life. Without further ado, everyone, Sarah McDevitt. You're listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast, and I'm your host, Sean McCormick. It's the OPP. I'm a performance coach, a wellness entrepreneur, a blogger, a speaker, a biohacker, and it's my privilege to bring to you the leading experts in the field of performance. So let's dig right in. And we're here with Sarah McDevitt, who's the CEO and founder of Core Wellness. Sarah, welcome to the Optimal Performance Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat. I there's there's we I I've been jumping around thinking about where I want to start this 
and and I'm so excited to talk to someone who not only is innovating in the meditation space, but is a meditator because I I think the listeners know that I've been meditating for a very long time. It's I've gone through fits and waves and techniques and disciplines and holding things and not holding things and sitting in the chair and sitting on the floor. And so I'm uh, you can tell in my voice that I'm excited to be here. Um, I start with the same question with each of my guests, which is, uh, what have you what what have you put into your body today? I love that. I love that question. Um, this morning, I made some breakfast tacos for myself. So, a little egg and cheese and avocado on a corn tortilla, and a cup of coffee. Nice. So and a had... lot of water. <laughs> yes. Yes, you, you can detect it in my. I'm drinking a lot of water too. You can de- detect it in my voice, but uh, up here in the Northwest, where the cold is coming around, uh, lots of lots of fluid is important. Yes, yeah, we've been having. I'm I'm in Oakland, and we've been having the smoke from the wildfires down uh, here that has just been incredibly heavy the last um, two weeks or so. And today is the first day we have rain, and it's clearing out the air, and it's it's feeling a lot better. But we've been all trying to hydrate but stay indoors and it's been it's been tough obviously tougher for everyone affected by the wildfires but yeah yeah just a reminder a reminder what's important and how how insignificant we sometimes how significant we insignificant we are on this planet and how if uh, a natural disaster kind of puts us in check a little bit it's really true yeah so we're going to get into the hardware and the software and the origin story and everything like that but I would like to start by talking about your experience with meditation. Um, before we jump into that, though, can you give everybody just a, um, you know, the sort of the elevator pitch on what CORE is? Yeah, so CORE is a way to just help make meditation easier for people and help you stick to it. Uh, and a, a big part of that is connecting your mind to your physical health and how your full body system you know, your mind-body system is reacting to meditation. So we're a connected device and app together that you you hold the device during meditation. It's designed to make that uh, just an easier experience, give you something to focus on. We combine vibration and audio guidance together and then wrap that up with biofeedback so that you can really understand how your body's reacting and see progress over time. Well said. Very well said. Okay, so tell us about your your experience with meditation. Where did it where did you where did it start? Yeah, I so I was a college basketball player and I did not have meditation at that point. I had no idea, you know, about these mental tools and I wish I did. Um and so a couple years after that, I was uh experiencing anxiety for the first time or I would say I recognized that I was experiencing anxiety experiencing anxiety for the first time. Um, and once I, once I was experiencing that in such a clear way, I realized how much anxiety had gotten in the way previously, uh, like when I was playing college basketball. And so, um, you know, I was in a, this period of, uh, of transition, I was switching gears to go to grad school. So I was leaving my job that I was confident in and moving States and, uh, ending a relationship and just all of these things happening at the same time that that uh, led to me feeling really intense anxiety and uh, actually having a uh, you know experience with panic and um, and 
it happened in a way that I could really identify it and define it for what it was. And so during that time, uh, someone introduced me to, to meditation through the book, The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. And, uh, and it, it just clicked so perfectly in that time for me. Um, it was exactly what I needed. And so along with that, I, I was at a, a job at Microsoft where I was fortunate enough to, to get to go visit this university in South Africa, actually, that was doing really interesting work um, incorporating meditation into their curriculum with their students. And so they presented this really incredible, just concrete science behind the effects that meditation can have uh, on their student population. And I kind of needed the two of those to come together at the same time. Like I was you know, subjectively feeling the benefits for myself of meditation in my own life. But, you know, my kind of like engineering science mind, I kind of needed to see concrete science behind it as well. Um, and so I was, uh, I started meditating uh, with using kind of Eckhart Tolle's book and then also um, some of the apps that were just starting to come out around this time and really got into it, got into it that way. Can you can you explain for the listeners what what the technique is is that you, that that Eckhart Tolle goes over like what what is it how do you do it Yeah great question and there are so many different types of meditation so uh you know part of part of the challenge is finding what clicks for you um at different times as I'm sure you've experienced um so Eckhart Tolle talks at least in the power of now he talks about well the thing that clicked the most for me at the time um, cause he, he talks about a lot was this idea that, um, you know, if you're observing your thoughts, uh, and you, you, it's kind of a, an open observation meditation and you're just observing what thoughts naturally come up. Cause we're, we're constantly thinking. So it's not about, you know, turning off your brain or clearing any thoughts from happening. Um, his method there is about just observing and, and starting to notice that, you know, a lot of the thoughts you're having are about the past and we may be replaying or, you know, reconstructing something that already happened, wishing it happened differently. And maybe there are some emotions that that brings up like guilt or shame or, you know, things like that around past experiences. And then you can also look at, um, you may notice thoughts that are coming up that are around the future. So, uh, you know, worrying about something that hasn't happened yet um, or playing out some scenario that you think might happen and that you're anxious about the possibility of that happening um, and just noticing that that's in the future and hasn't actually happened yet. And so then through that process, coming back, obviously, to the, you know his title of his book, The Power of Now, coming back to the present moment to just settle in to realize what's actually happening right now, like what is your real experience right now. Um, and it, it just gave me such a way to release and realize that a lot of the things that I was getting really anxious about literally weren't happening yet. <laughs> like they're in the future that sure, there's a possibility for them to happen and there's reasons to plan for things. Um, but that my anxiety was really rooted in these things that actually were not happening to me. Um, and so just that kind of ability to notice and to label, um, to label thoughts, uh, being in the past or the present, 
uh, or the future was really powerful to me. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard, I've heard it explained a couple of ways and I've, I've thought about this a lot. Uh, and you know, anxiety is about looking forward and stressing out, like you said, about things that literally are not happening. Mm-hmm. And depression is about looking backwards at things that have happened in the past that you no longer have control over. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like you said, like guilt or shame. And if you're not looking forward and you're not looking back, then you are present. Within that model, within that technique, was there an anchor that that he suggested to use? Was it the breath, the mantra, a visualization, uh, sort of body scanning? What was it? Great question. I forget exactly what he talks the most about, but at the same time, I was exploring those different, um, you know, different focal points. And uh, for me, I resonated the most with anything that I could really feel physically. Um, you know, so the breath is is obviously one of the most common. Um, but even the breath sometimes can feel a little bit intangible. Like it, it takes a little bit of skill development, I think, in this to really be able to plug into like where you can feel your breath. Um, right. And so, you know, because it is something that we do that we're constantly doing and not noticing. Um, and so I actually started with like uh, more grounding, physical body scan type of meditations where I'm feeling, you know, where my feet are in contact with the ground, um, or where my butt is in contact with my chair and, you know, things like that. And then, um, and then I found muscle relaxation to be really powerful in the beginning. So, you know, just tuning into like one area of your body, like your forehead, uh, and just tuning into that place and then letting go of those muscles, um, and just Mm -hmm. going through and like, you know, if you really, you you can do it in, in big muscles, like you can just, you know, focus on your, your legs, your quads, um, and kind of move through your body that way. But I also found it really powerful to do it with your, with really small areas, like the area around your eyes. And if you just kind of sit there or lie there and notice these like tiny, you know, I don't know how many muscles you have in your face. It's hundreds, right? you know, it's all these tiny muscles and you can just zero into like one little place around your eyes and realize that there are muscles that are literally flexed (laughs) and you're just sitting there, you know, and you can actually feel letting those go. Um, so I found, you know, very physical techniques like that, uh, pretty powerful in the beginning. Sounds like an athlete. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Right. A lot of athletes would tune into that. Yeah. yeah, Very, very in your body, very aware of your posture, very aware of like your butt very aware of your, (laughs) you know, your, your hamstrings and quads as you sit in the bottoms of your feet, you know, and, you know, like in, uh, like Vipassana, you know, focusing on your upper lip or focusing Mm -hmm. on the meat in between your nostrils, that little, Mm -hmm. that little divider between your nostrils. And that's super hard to do. Yeah. It's really hard to zero in on a, uh, um, uh, an eighth of an inch little piece of, nose that doesn't have very many nerve endings in it but like the and, sensation and of literally never noticed before right and yeah you've had no reason to focus on the meat in between your nostrils the nose meat yeah. but but that that you know that that subtlety that subtlety of a meditation practice and and i'm gonna we're, well i think we'll talk about it a little bit later but like the subtlety of a meditation practice is is tricky and it takes a ton of work 
to get into a place where you can really follow the breath and nothing else. It gets it takes a ton of hours of practice to get to a point like my folks taught me transcendental meditation when I was 12. Mm-hmm. And and TM is is the recitation of a mantra. So I got my mantra, I got my chair, I've got my gratitude, I've got the position of my eyes behind my eyelids. Um, I've got sort of the visualization of, of the sound of my of the of the monosyllabic sound, you know, over and over and over and over. And I hated it. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, you can imagine, you know, uh, telling a 12 year old boy, any 12 year old boy or girl to like, hey, sit still and uh, and recite wah in your head just over and over and <laughs> over. And I was I, I was so resistant to it. I eventually got into it and f- and it took one experience where it clicked and it was mm. like, oh, that's what this is all for. That's the feeling of interconnectedness. That's the feeling of of bliss and relaxation and peace that I'm missing. Eventually I went through like uh, mindfulness and Vipassana and then back to TM and then away from TM into some more like active meditation stuff. But uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> enter core because <laughs> meditation's hard. Yeah. And most people don't have uh, an hour a day every day to practice, to get into it for years until they have that final, they have that moment of, of breakthrough where it all makes sense. Yep. Did you experience any, did you have a moment like that in your meditation where you were like, okay, I get it now. Yeah. I think I had many small moments and, and could still continue to, uh, for sure. Because I think, you know, I mean, it's, it's so cool that you were introduced to this when you were 12. I, I wish that for everyone. Um, and, uh, and as you know, you, you know, your meditation practice and what you're feeling you're getting out of it changes so much over time too. So, totally. you know, by no means do I feel like I had, I, I figured this one thing out and that's what I do every day and it just works and, you know, done. (laughs) Uh, It's definitely evolving. But I think some of the small moments that I had early on were, um, yeah, were just those little things that you need to keep a habit going. And I think it's so, it's one of the toughest things about meditation is, and one of the reasons that I started CORE was because where you could read all the research you want and you could hear, you could, you know, listen to all the meditators you want, you know, talking about the benefits but we're still kind of expecting someone to like commit to this habit for months before they get any confirmation or confidence that it's working, you know, or that they're benefiting from it because it it may take that long for you to really subjectively have those kind of aha moments with it. And that's really hard, you know, with, with fitness, you might have a long-term goal, but you get these really incremental, um, uh, you know, proof points that something is working, (laughs) you know, something's happening. Um, and so that was a big part of starting core. I just wanted to like bring that feedback loop a lot farther up in the process so that, uh, so that we could help people stick with it long enough to really start to feel the benefits themselves internally, emotionally, you know, um, that kind of stuff that's really subjective to the individual. 
I really like the comparison to to exercise because you're right. Like that 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 experience of either calm or bliss or transcendence or oneness with the universe um, doesn't come easily. It, it certainly doesn't come as easily as like um, improving your mile or improving right. <laughs> your forty time or your you know your vertical. Yeah. Uh, you know, and um, and leave it up to a athlete engineer to create <laughs> to create a device that's like here we're gonna make this easy on you listen hold this thing it links up with your phone it will tell you how well you did it will give mm-hmm. you these indicators it will show you that hey you actually did chill out you weirdo like yeah <laughs> <laughs> like you actually did and so that obviously leads into the question of um no I don't want to go into the, I want to I want to go uh, hopefully you've got lots of time because I want to I don't I want do. to give it too much away <laughs> too early. Um, can you tell us how, when when you had the idea, um, what did you know about heart rate variability or biomarkers or the tech in general that that you started to tinker with? And was mm-hmm. it an idea and then prototypes? Just tell us a little bit about sort of like the origin story of the actual device. Yeah, for sure. So I actually started out, um, I, I went to grad school for a master's in education at Stanford and my, what I went in there to study was stress and anxiety and how it was affecting teenagers, um, and how we could work in high schools to help, you know, every student entering the classroom kind of come into the class with a a more level playing field, uh, in the brain, honestly. Um, so for kids coming in with really severe stress or anxiety, how could we help them make the most of their of their class time. And so that kind of obviously came together with, with meditation and mindfulness. Um, and so the original idea was actually about helping teenagers. And so that the two biggest things that I was trying to bring to that was number one, you know, I assumed teen, like you were describing your experience with early meditation as a 12 year old, it's like, yeah, just, just sit there still and do nothing. Like, you know, that direction just wasn't going to work. It's impossible. Yeah. And And it's worse. It's, it's way harder now than it was when, you know, when, when, when I, you know, 20 years ago, uh, because that we are so used to, and, and I, sorry to cut you off, but I just get, I get excited. (laughs) Just like it's, 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 it's probably 10 times harder for a 12-year-old or a 15-year-old to begin to understand and to cultivate uh, not not just a meditation practice, but a sit-still practice. Yeah, an attention practice. An attention practice. There's yeah. so, you know, like millennials have grown up with so much stimuli and yeah. so much um, interruption in their life that... Uh, I can I can imagine how much more challenging it is today than it was back then for to to introduce these concepts of stillness, you know. Yeah, yeah. And so having this physical object that you could hold um, and and rest your fo- your focus on that, because you know, in a there's there's kind of um, open awareness meditation, and then there's focus or attention meditation, right? And and those can be you can go back and forth between them, but they can be fairly different. So. Um, so we were working on kind of a focus meditation, um, where you're practicing just resting your attention on one thing could, could be anything. 
um, and just noticing when your mind wanders from that and gently just bringing it back to that one point of focus. Uh, and so, you know, that could be a mantra, that could be your breath, that could be a physical part of your body, that could be, um, excuse me, something that you're holding. And so that was kind of the root of having this external object, um, meditation as a focal point. And, and then the biofeedback piece, I was worried at the time that I would really have to do some work on getting these teenagers to like buy into this idea of meditating in their classroom and so I thought, well, you know, during your teenage years, you're, you're very concerned with yourself. And so what better way to kind of like prove it to a teenager than to show them literally what's happening in their own body when they're doing this practice. So that was actually the, the catalyst of all of this. Um, and so I started looking into uh, different forms of biomarkers that would help me represent your body's reaction to or response to a meditation practice. So I looked at galvanic skin response, um, looked at HRV through electrocardiogram, looked at, you know, EEG brainwave tracking, a number of different things and really settled on HRV because, uh, as the, as what I thought was the best way to, fulfill that promise of just representing your nervous system's response to these mental exercises. Did you, after, after tinkering around with HRV, like, what was that process like? I mean, was it, was it lab coats and electrodes, uh, in a lab or like, what would paint a picture for us? Yeah, a little bit. So I, uh, it's so fortunate now that, I mean, there's so much hobbyist hardware and biosensing stuff out there that you can start to tinker with. Like that didn't exist, you know, um, 10, 20 years ago that you could just as a kind of hobbyist experimenter put together something to track GSR or HRV. So yeah, I, uh, started putting together Arduino prototypes. Arduino is like hobbyist, you know, hardware electronics, um, stuff you can buy off the internet and, um, and would just, I didn't test these with teenagers cause I would have had to go through more, uh, protocol to safely and yeah. responsibly Smart do that. Move. <laughs> Smart move. <laughs> so I did, you know, with adults who could opt in on their own, um, just testing how, well, GSR responded to different stimuli, both stressful and, um, and meditation exercises, and then how EKG and HRV responded to those same stimuli and, and so on and so on. So yeah, I was putting together little electronics prototypes and hooking people up to it. And, uh, I did some kind of miniature studies on, you know, you have to like stress people out <laughs> to then see their <laughs> recovery. <laughs> Which I felt bad about. <laughs> what did you? But, uh, two questions. Who yeah. who was your first? Who was your first <laughs> non you guinea pig? And what was the stress? What was the stress uh, thing? Yeah, a lot of uh, my fellow grad students were put through this. Nice. <laughs> and the stress was either, and these are these are used. Uh, these methods are used in other research, but the stressors were either uh, doing math problems. <laughs> which, <laughs> Say no which, more. I know. Right. So I, I studied math in college. That was one of my degrees. And so I'm like, I love this. And they're like, no, this is literally the worst. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, math problems. And then also, uh, very, uh, stressful, violent movie scenes, sadly. So, uh, that was a different version of it. So like, and I, you know, okayed it with them before we did it, but, uh, there's, 
like a really bad scene in Saving Private Ryan that I showed stressed people out. And, uh, and then they did an exercise, um, to like a meditation exercise. And we had various different, um, techniques and, and control groups that were not doing that, but, um, yeah, and hooked them up to different things and just to see how the biomarkers responded and how we could start to think about patterns, um, that we could recognize out of that. I, I really like, I mean, uh, I think using HRV is such a great, I mean, heart rate variability. So the listeners are going to know what heart rate variability is, Yeah. but just for this, just in case they don't, can you explain what it is and why it's a great marker for, uh, um, improvement? Yes. So HRV is essentially, so it's heart rate variability. Um, and it's basically looking at the, you know, very granular variability in milliseconds between, uh, beat to beat, uh, heart rate. So a general pulse wave doesn't have enough information to get the really granular uh, beat-to-beat measurement. So we take EKG so that we have really precise uh, points of uh, your heartbeat. And so what HRV looks at is um, essentially if your body is more stressed, your sympathetic nervous system is more engaged your HRV is actually lower. And conceptually, what that means is basically like your body and your stress response is only concerned with, you know, getting blood and oxygen to the most important muscles, you know, your typical kind of fight or flight response. And so it beats more like a metronome Um, and typically faster, but you, but HRV is a more granular look at how your sympathetic nervous system is, is activated. And so then on the, you know, on the other side, if your parasympathetic nervous system or your kind of rest um, response is, is more active, your uh, heart rate variability is higher. So there's more variation beat to beat. And the kind of mental model that we usually talk about with that is, you know, when your body's at rest, it's able to do all these really minute things that it's responsible for doing, like dilating your blood vessels or getting blood to your digestive organs or, um, you know, your, your heart beats slightly faster on an inhale and slightly slower on an exhale. So it's able to be very reactive to all these minute things that we need for, for living and for our bodies being healthy. Um, so for meditation, we can look at, um, HRV gives us a sense of your sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system balance, um, and what's happening between those. And so we can look at what technique you are using, you know, during a certain time period of your session and understand how your body responded to that. Um, and so then we can show our users, you know, Hey, these techniques are typically most effective for you. If what you're looking for here is reducing your stress response. Um, and then your listeners probably are most aware of HRV patterns over time. That's typically how athletes use HRV. Um, and so we can also, you know, for a relatively consistent meditator, we can also provide that kind of information like, you know, Hey, you're, whether it's from training or pushing yourself really hard, not sleeping enough or whatever it is that you're putting your, your body under too much strain and it's no longer able to recover as quickly. We can also show those types of patterns. Awesome. So awesome. (laughs) It's so fascinating. Um, how did you eventually end up with the 
the the holdable design. It's mm. so cool looking. I mean, it's so uh, allow me allow me to compliment uh, incessantly here. Like, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> it, it's both it's both classic and also futuristic at the same time. Mm. Uh, it, it it looks it looks like um, it looks like something out of like a classic futurist sci-fi movie. I mean, not I mean, I know if that's a thing, but it just it looks so cool. Can you describe it and how and how you uh, how you ultimately ended up on that specific ergonomic design? Yeah, so many iterations. Um, the, how many? The, oh how God, many? Over a hundred. Oh I mean, gosh. once we. Because so the way I started that design process was actually leading group meditations and I gave people Play-Doh or clay to hold in their hands during Uh. meditation just to see what naturally formed. Like what did their hands naturally do if you're holding them together and focusing on this physical thing in your hands? Um, And, you know, obviously some people meditate with their hands apart. So I wanted to see, you know, if we're bringing our hands together, which is also a, a... common in meditation, what naturally forms. And so then we went from these weird Play-Doh clay formations into, uh, into foam models. Um, we tried a bunch of different directions there and then into 3d printing. And then ultimately we, I knew it, you know, we wanted a kind of iconic design that didn't feel weird and, you know, too organic, but had this like classic silhouette and the kind of little design mantra we kept saying to ourselves is like what we wanted to achieve was, um, you know, imagine a Scandinavian design team went to Japan to design a product for Nike. <laughs> That's exactly what it looks like. Thank you. And, it, you know, it's like <laughs> Scandinavian design is so clean. It's clean lines. There's like room for breathing in, in their design aesthetic. It's, you know, beautiful. Japan, because we had so much respect for like ritual design and kind of very traditional rituals like like tea ceremonies in, in Japan and things like that. And so we wanted that kind of classic traditional ritual aspect into it. And then Nike, because we, we wanted to have like a little bit of power in it, you know, like making meditation more of a empowering, active thing that you can do for yourself, not just a passive de-stressor type of activity. Totally see it. Well, how many designers did you have working on it? We worked with two different industrial designers on, on pretty small, this was like very scrappy stages. So, uh, we were just iterating with ourselves and, um, and a couple industrial designers over time and got to where we are now. So once we had kind of the, the overall shape, then we were, it was really small iterations on like the specific ergonomics of the curvature under your thumbs and how that felt for, for, you know, someone who's like six, six with very large hands to a very petite, you know, five foot tall woman with very small hands. Like we wanted to be able to, uh, fit very comfortably for all different hand sizes. Yeah. So if you would, and, and people keep, people will see photos of it here when they, when they listen. Um, but can you describe, can you describe the look and feel the look of it? Yeah, so it's kind of the size of a softball. Uh, so it's a sphere with kind of a uh, curved groove on top for your thumbs to sit comfortably on top. And the whole bottom is a solid chunk of rosewood, really nice natural wood. And then the top is um, plastic and we have metal electrodes in there um, for the biofeedback, for the biosensors. 
Okay, so now we've talked about the hardware. Let's talk about the software. Walk yeah. us through walk us through how they work in tandem because uh, <laughs> holding holding the thing if it doesn't like duh, Sean, shut up. Uh, ex- ex- explain how ex- please explain the, the software yeah. element of it. <laughs> yeah, what else is there? Um yeah, so the the device itself core in your hands will vibrate and we have a couple different kind of haptic guidance designs. So for example, um, we have a breathing pulse that the vibration, you know, gets stronger and then goes away to guide your inhale and exhale. And so we can do, you know, any, any type of breathing technique, we can guide with the vibration and with audio from the app. So if you have, you know, a meditation instructor talking you through that guidance, um, we've synced that together with the vibration. So it's kind of like you get, um, it's just a more, a much more immersive experience that way. And, um, so the, so during your meditation experience, you can either use just the device with the pulse itself, um, and let that guide you, or you can have a track from an instructor through our app guide you as well. And then afterwards you can look in the app and see, you know, that response to meditation that your body had through the biofeedback. So we present, um, present a graph basically reflecting that um, experience back to you and then pre- present some different ways that you can reflect on how that went for you and dig into your data. Yeah. Do you ever, um, does, how does it, how does it differ and how is it similar th- uh, than other meditation devices? Yeah. So the number one thing that we wanted to make sure we always stuck to was that we were designing for you to really enjoy the experience of meditation with core itself. So, you know, there are other devices out there that are primarily around the biofeedback and tracking what they want to track, but that are awkward to use and don't actually kind of like fulfill this additional purpose of, of focus um, and ease during meditation. So that's a big difference to me. Um, like we, we always want to make sure that first and foremost, you're, we're making meditation easier for you. And with, you know, with sensing technology being what it is today, we should be able, like, it should be on us to integrate that in a way that's totally seamless for you as the user. So getting that, getting that live feedback while you're meditating in a way that's tactile. Yeah. And that's not intrusive for meditation, you know, like some, we actually, um, we also do the biofeedback, we chose to only present that data to you afterwards about how it went instead of changing the experience during meditation, ah, which some other products do. So technically right. we, can, we can do that and we're playing with some different things around, um, around respiration and, and guided breathing where we do actually respond to your starting point. But, um, uh, but it was really like some other products do respond in real time and kind of like tell you, you know, Hey, you're losing focus or you're stressed yeah. out. <laughs> and right. we just found that, you know, that's, that's interesting from kind of a brain training perspective for sure. But we also don't want to, you know, not, uh, de-stressing and kind of regulating your nervous system isn't necessarily the only reason that you meditate. Right. And so if you're meditating with core and there, there's a lot of other, um, other purpose and benefit you're getting out of that emotionally and psychologically, we don't want to disrupt that experience um, with the biofeedback. 
I think that's a key point. And I'm sure that that was a really hard decision. I mean, you have the flexibility to innovate and add however you want. You know, if you want to help people change in real time from, from a, you know, from a neurofeedback aspect, obviously you can. And it sounds like that's something that you're interested in. For me personally, um, you're right. You have to go through, you have to go through your own personal learning. For me, when I've used other meditation devices where it is where there's a prompt Mm-hmm. That that says, "Hey, Sean, like you're <laughs> you're losing it, dude." It almost feels like I'm being meditated. Yeah, Ooh, that's f- a great way of putting it. It feels like it feels like I'm I'm being, um, even though it's me, even though I am the Atman consciousness in there doing the, doing its thing. When I get a prompt that says that I've deviated from my breath or deviated from whatever, you know, brainwave state that is optimal and I get a little like something, you know, Mm -hmm. then it's like, I, it's, it's discouraging and it feels like I've lost control and it feels a little bit. And I I don't want to, I don't want to bad mouth it too much because I totally see the benefit and it, Mm -hmm. and I'm sure it's good for some people. And I'm sure that it's something that you may do in the future. But for me, like getting that prompt in the middle of my meditation kind of takes the um, t- cheats me of the opportunity to learn on my own. Yes, yeah. It meditates me rather than me meditating myself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I that's such a great way of putting it. I haven't I haven't heard that before. That's awesome. Yeah, I the the purpose of the biofeedback for us is really like you know f- to give you things that you can improve over time, but also just to give you confidence in the practice. So we as humans are such, we have so much negative bias, right? Like, so when we typically talk, talk to people who are trying to get into a meditation habit, um, they really over index on the negative aspects of how they think they're doing. And that's a natural human tendency. So they, we hear so often, you know, I, I can't do it. I can't turn my brain off. I can't meditate. I fail at it. And, that's, that's a misperception usually. And so, and it's because, you know, during, say you do a 10 minute meditation, you're going to have plenty of times during that 10 minutes where your mind is planning for tomorrow and worrying about this other thing and replaying this thing that happened before. And that's true for expert meditators as well. Um, and the practice is really about noticing that's happening and not judging the fact that it's happening, it's just happening, and then pulling your mind back to whatever your focal point or intention for your meditation is. And that act of, of, um, of like gently recovering your attention um, and just noticing what's coming up is meditating. So it's not yeah. failing to have those periods of distracted or stressful thought. And so we wanted to, to show um, your body's response to meditation and as much as we can, those different mental states that are happening during meditation to kind of reframe success in meditation and, and help people see that, you know, if you had a period of really anxious thought during meditation, but then you pulled your attention back to something and your body recovered, that's, that's the practice. Like that's a win. So we don't have to over index on the fact that you had these stressful thoughts, we can reframe success, you know, through recovering from that. Yeah. I mean, you're right. That's, that is meditating that ability to recover that, that ability to 
go back to a reference point that's the that's the whole jam without judgment without um extrapolating it to other thoughts or theories but just to stick with it and to go back to it over and over and over and over again i i kind of see myself you know i've been begging to try it and you're like sorry we're sold out dude <laughs> just send me one i want to try it so bad I, we'll i'll get, get my shot <laughs> i'll get my shot but i i have a suspicion that for for someone like myself who's meditated for a very long time i would be super interested to use the device without the guided aspect of it mm-hmm. um because i get really picky uh, with guided meditations, yeah, because I don't need to listen to Andy Puttycomb from Headspace. Yep. You know, talk to me about you know, <laughs> returning to my breath <laughs> and breathe. I just don't. It's like okay, I'm good, but it works for so many other people. Like, um, it works for so many people, and especially if and 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 to the point. Any meditation practice that you do is a good meditation right, practice. Right, exactly. Whatever it is. If, uh, if, if, if you need that and you need somebody to walk you through it, cool. And, and for, you know, for my coaching clients that I work with, um, I point them to, to various meditation apps um, to, just to get them started. And, and if you've got someone there who will walk you through a guided meditation combined with the com- – combined with the – the feelable, touchable, holdable, um, uh, aspect of it yep. that, that, I mean, that's like, that's, that's, that's biohacking at its finest. <laughs> yeah. And I love that. It's really true that I think any guide for meditation, um, needs to be very flexible along your, you know, what different people need from their practice. So, um, that's one of the big reasons that we enable just picking up the object and having the vibration, start or not and and having different designs for that vibration and not using audio or like one of the most popular uh things from our uh uh, customers so far is these soundscapes we have so just the combination of this kind of like immersive soundscape with vibration and they're very synced together um and you know or maybe you start with like one minute of kind of refreshing like what what the heck are we sitting down for <laughs> to do like, <laughs> right what is this practice and then just like getting into your own flow and the rest of it and not having constant instructor guidance i think is really powerful for a lot of people yeah uh, what was the process like of picking um uh, voiceover talent to do the guided meditations <laughs> still very ongoing um we we kind of believe that our the most important thing for our content in the beginning is really just about making sure that it's immersive and practical and uh, really well synced with our vibration guidance. Um, so we haven't taken a, um, a strategy of going out to find kind of like the celebrity meditation instructors that are out there because right. uh, I think they can, you know, they'll add a lot of wisdom over time. Um for people who want to dig into more like conceptual learning around the practice. But in the beginning, it's really about just uh, voices that sound very relatable and aren't too out there or, you know, just sound like someone's helping you in just your regular life guide you through this meditation. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe or maybe not Andy (laughs) Puttycomb talking to you in your ear. 
<laughs> I can't resist, we, sorry. We do, I believe we do have one accent. Uh, you must. British accent. Because got to. You have to now. <laughs> got to. Uh, somebody that sounds like Thich Nhat Hanh or something like that, maybe. Um, what was, so now, what, what was the process now of, of testing? Like, did you, did you have like a, a temple full of Zen monks? Did you have, uh, you know, uh, mentalists and mystics like experimenting with this or what was, what was that like? How did you get that feedback? Yeah. Great question. It's, it's really important to us to stay, make sure that we're staying true to, um, both the science and some of the tradition behind meditation while still modernizing it and making it, um, uh, you know, just bringing some of the technology that we want to bring to it. So we reviewed and got feedback from both, uh, monks like Zen monks, um, and other expert meditation instructors and expert meditators themselves, as well as like clinical psychologists and people more on the mental health and therapy side, um, so through through Stanford, um, through my network from Stanford, we reviewed with uh, a lot of people to get, give us feedback there and make sure, and we continue to just make sure that we're staying on track to both of those. Yeah, I I've um, I was reminded of something that you said about the the vibration and the reviews that I've read uh, say that it's like really pleasant. <laughs> yeah, like, it is just very soothing. Very, yeah, soothing and soothing yeah. and smooth, not disruptive. Mm-hmm. It must have been. I you I, I sort of picture you in um in like a in a lab somewhere, <laughs> like holding these different devices and having them vibrate and and after hours and hours being like I don't know it's a it's, it's the same vibration it's slightly different it's slightly longer like I can't tell anymore you stare at something long enough and right. you, you can't see it anymore you know for sure yeah actually we had some funny experiences with our vibration motors um in the device and testing the feel of all like I know way more about vibration motors than I ever wanted to because <laughs> I never knew they were all so different you know and the feel is so important and the smoothness um is so important and so yeah, we would, I mean, it's pretty cool that just through work, I'm like forced to meditate. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, darn, I have to test this other vibration motor. So I have to sit down in the middle of the workday and do a 10 minute meditation. Yeah. Um, so we did a lot of that. And then we also did find that, um, you know, hey, we got it. We're, you're like uh, going through all of these different tests of, you know, how we're tuning the, the haptics and everything. And then you're like, I just need to you know, I need to sit with this for like an hour. Like, what would it feel like to do a really long, you know, meditation with this? So kind of reminding ourselves like in the fast paced chaos of a startup, you know, to sit back and, and also take our time with things. What's the longest meditation session you've seen somebody do with the core? Oh, great question. Um, hmm, I think we have... A 45-minute um, meditation is probably the longest. So we don't have, you know, a lot of our customers are generally beginners um, and are looking for that consistency day-to-day. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I have done a day-long meditation through another program where I on and off held core um, huh. throughout because we also did, like, during the day-long we did um, it wasn't all sitting. We also did like walking meditation and things like that. But, uh, yeah. What was the discipline? 
Um, it was mindfulness-based stress reduction program. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Cool. Did they know that you were going to be bringing in your toy with you? No. <laughs> Did you get in trouble? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. It's, uh, you know, it's uh, the community around meditation is obviously very like, you know, what works for you. But also that was, uh, you know, we've reviewed, gotten feedback from programs like that as well. And, and with, uh, with very expert, like the Zen monks that we reviewed with as well, it's like anything that helps people start this practice and keep this practice and get deeper into this practice is they're in, you know, and as long, you know, it's, uh, like one, um, expert that we talked to is like, yeah, the, the first skill, like if you think about different aspects of meditation as skills, um, one of the first skills that we're trying to work on is that returning your attention to one thing, just that simple concept. Yeah. And so having this tangible thing to return your attention to is so beneficial to people. And you can, you can build on that. You know, if, if your goal is to, uh, transition that attention to your breath, um, great, you know, move on to that and we'll, we'll facilitate that. But it's all about, um, you know, developing those little skills that you can rely on over time. Yeah. I mean, there's so many of them too. And and the deeper, the deeper you get into your meditation practice, the deeper the rabbit hole goes, you know, like a, a subtle shift in posture, a subtle shift in breath, you know, like introducing, um, yeah, yeah. Holding things, you know, uh, sage before tea before like these, like, um, for me, it's, for me, it, 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 it comes down to, um, breath and posture. Those are the two, those are the two major tools. And it took me a long time to figure out how I like to hold my hands mm-hmm. when I meditate. Cause the whole, like, you know, Lotus with your hands up out to the side mm-hmm. doing the A-OK thing. Mm-hmm. Like that's one thing. And then there's, you know, palms up on the ed- resting on the edges of your knee, sitting, you know, sitting in the Lotus position or, you know, crisscross applesauce. And then there's, you know, um, palms up kind of in the, 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 where uh, your hips is one. Mm-hmm. Ult- ultimately I sort of settled on kind of a core style Mm-hmm. core ask position which is to make my hands a circle mm-hmm. um with my thumbs and my fingers sort of interlacing um or not interlacing but sort of this is so granular people are checking out right now like dude sean <laughs> nobody cares How what your hands, your hands <laughs> what your hands are doing during meditation but now i have to finish now i have to, I have to just get through it so like putting one thumb over the other and then putting one you know fingers over the other and then having that sort of just down in my in my trunk you know mm-hmm. area That's, yeah which is really similar to the design that core that you ended up with very similar and actually to your way earlier question about some of the first kind of aha moments for myself in meditation so i i typically do a very similar posture to you like before before the world of core my hands would be together and overlapping and i typically meditate before bed so i would um, I would sit, you know, sit up in bed and I'd have that position and I'd meditate. And one of the thing, one of the little aha moments was I started to kind of like get the sense that I sort of like lost the distinction between my hands Yeah. <laughs> and they, they sort of just like melded together. <laughs> and it was this very, again, physical sensation for me that 
I felt once I was kind of like in the flow of, you know, a, a meditation session. And that, that was one of my kind of one of the moments that I just really liked, um, in my early meditation practice. And, um, the other kind of aha moment was for me, one of the first benefits that I felt, um, from the practice was my sleep. Like I would meditate before bed, which first of all means that you're not on your phone (laughs) for the last 10, 20 minutes before bed or whatever. Huge. Um, and I would just lay back and go to sleep and I would wake up so refreshed. Like it, it wasn't just, I've, I've never had problems sleeping, but the difference between just my regular night, normal night of sleep and how I felt when I woke up after meditating before bed was, I could feel the difference. Totally. Well, it's, you know, you're probably giving yourself a chance, a little bit of a runway because that's how, when I meditate too, is before, before bed. Mm -hmm. Um, and you're giving yourself like a little bit of a runway for that melatonin production to, to begin, you know, so many people, so many people, uh, look at their phone until the very second that they're expected to like go to sleep. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just scrolling endlessly through Twitter, Instagram. Yep. Um, and then you're like, okay, cool. Turn it off, put it under your pillow. Shame on you. Or like <laughs> put it on your bedside. Shame on you. Put it over there across the room on the, you know, on the, on the other table yep. and then go to sleep. Like that's, that's, that's super hard to do. Um, how has it been received? Not only from not only from individuals, but but from 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 a wider sort of consumer audience. Yeah, I think uh, people are are really excited about this. I think we have, you know, the apps have been so great at introducing a broader audience to the concept of meditation and making it more like normal and mainstream to talk about. Um, and I think we're at this point where we're ready for a lot of those people are kind of ready for the next step and and ready for kind of meditation 2.0. Um, if you will indulge my corny tech, (laughs) 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 um, you know, I mean, ultimately like an app is a great introduction. Um, it does, it's, it's so easy to download. There's free content. Um, and you can just get an intro to the concepts and that's great. But I think, so many people are looking for, you know, it's so easy to drop off of an app and, uh, an app is literally where a lot of your, you know, your phone is literally where a lot of your stressors are coming from, um, and just distractions. Like if I go sit down to meditate and I have, and I only have my phone as my guide, uh, you know, that's where Instagram is and my email and my calendar. And, um, so I think people are really ready for having this like dedicated, device that they can form this ritual around and, um, and take it to the next level in terms of being able to track just like, you know, we track everything else in, in digital health and physical health and, uh, fitness. Yeah. Do, um, can you like grab the device? Can you grab, what do you call it? Do you call it just the core? Yep. Okay. So do you, can you grab the core and then jump right in or or do I need to go into the app and set it up and then yeah you can just grab core and jump right in so it it auto starts yeah and that's been really exciting for you know in terms of um how it's been received we have some uh like lululemon Saks fifth avenue we have some really interesting brands who are trying to um bring 
greater wellness experiences beyond, you know, obviously for Saks, like beyond just shopping <laughs> and for Lululemon, you know, it's a natural extension out of yoga um, to really provide people with this experience um, in real life around meditation. And so I'm really excited about being able to bring people together around meditation. And um, we, you know, set up different kind of group meditations and pop-up events where we can bring our community together and everyone can just pick up core and have an experience together with an instructor. Um, and that's been really powerful. That's so cool. It's it, whatever, whatever it takes, whatever it takes to get people to begin and to stick with meditation. And, you know, based on our conversation and all the research that I've done and the reviews that I've read, I think that you guys are doing something that's so, so, so different than, than everything else that's out there. And if that's what it takes to get people to meditate, I mean, you're making the world a better place. I mean, I hope that you stay close to that because you are. I I hope so. Thank you. That's a, a huge, I mean, really the, we really just want to help people where they are. And, uh, and that's on such a, it's so important to us to provide something that's helpful for whatever you're coming to meditation for and to, and to keep, you know, be a part of, I think there's already this awesome movement in our society around, um, uh, you know, talking about mental health and talking about mental well-being and, taking care of yourself and taking care of your mind being admired and not like weird. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I mean, it's, it's like we, you know, we talk about how we work out. We talk about how we take care of our bodies all the time. We talk about our nutrition, like at a party, you could talk about your workout habit. Why don't we, why isn't it normal and cool to talk about how you take care of your mind? It's, it's such a root of, your discipline, your focus, your productivity, your capability, your emotional health, your physical health, it's, it's huge. And so we want to just be a part of, um, of making that really mainstream and also really helping people, whether it's, you know, whether you're coming to meditation because you have this huge goal, this ambitious, you know, fitness goal or training goal or, uh, professional goal and you're seeking discipline and focus, or you are really struggling with, um, anxiety or loneliness or whatever that may be. And your goal is just to like, be okay. That's all normal. And we all go through phases of both of those. And so we want to support people in that whole spectrum. Beautifully said. Wonderful. I like to close out each of these episodes with the same question which is uh, actually not a question at all. And I've done that a couple of times. (laughs) If you, Sarah, if you would, please complete the sentence. Everyone should know that. Ooh, everyone should know that they are important to the world. Beautiful. Sarah, thanks for joining us on the Optimal Performance Podcast. Thank you so much. This was really fun to chat.